Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're kind of listening to Schmanners. Well, I would say that this is extraordinary etiquette in an ordinary occasion. It is definitely extraordinary etiquette. So, first of all, let's say this, because we are all about thank you notes. If you are listening to this, it means that you are a Max Fun supporter, and we cannot stress enough how much that means to us. You are very important to us, and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and we also hope that you enjoy all the bonus content, um, not just the stuff for Schmanners. Um, I highly recommend checking it out for all of our shows. Um, and enjoy I mean, the back catalog as well. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. In case you didn't know, even if you just became a supporter slash donor, whatever you want to call it this year, you can still listen to all the back catalog of bonus episodes. May I recommend Muslim Slam? Muslim Slam is pretty good. That's Teresa and Rachel and Sydney doing their own episode of My Brother, My Brother and Me. Now, I, I want to say we're very... It's excited. quite silly. It's great. Uh, enough about you, dear. Let's talk about this episode. <laughs> so Teresa and I went back and forth uh, a couple different times as to what we would do with this episode, with this bonus. And I'm going to be honest, I'm actually kind of sort of, what's the, I'm kind of inspired by Rose Buddies. Because um, on an episode when they were talking about shows they would cover, they mentioned Great British Bake Off, but stressed that they would never be able to cover Great British Bake Off because it just didn't fall under the umbrella of, of their show. And I realized, oh, do you know whose show it falls under? Ours. Ours. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. And specifically, we're going to talk about Series 5. Yes. And the reason I wanted to talk about this series is because it's the most recent Sorry, series. Series 6. Okay. The one that was actually just aired on PBS in the United States. Uh, the most recent series um, brought over from the UK. Um, like I said, just aired last, I, I mean, just this summer, really. It's available on Netflix now, if you haven't seen it. I want to stress that because we're going to be talking about it pretty in depth. So yes. if you haven't watched series six, um, and just to give you a rundown, because it, it's easy to, uh, to forget which one that is. I'll, here's the 12 bakers on that series. Alvin, Durrett, Flora, Ian, Marie, Matt, Nadia. Paul, Sandy, Stu, Tamal, and Ugne. So if those names are not familiar to you, pause this, <laughs> go on Netflix, watch all the episodes, then come back and join us. I mean, that would be ideal. But I'm, I think we're going to describe it so that you don't have to, if you don't want to. Um, so let's start off with this. Teresa, broad scope for me. What is Great British Bake Off and why should people watch it? Well, okay. It's a single elimination baking tournament. Basically. Now, you say that, and the first thing that pops in my head is, oh, something like, you know, Cutthroat Kitchen or Chopped or, you know, one of those, you know, kind of very, like, ooh, flames everywhere and knife images and stuff. Well, and this is why I like it. There are none of those things. There are no outlandish constructs. Um, there is no prize. Other than, I mean, bragging rights and a cake stand. Usually. Well, I mean, th there is, okay, there is. So you said bragging rights, and I think that extends to, like, the people who win this go on to, like, write cookbooks and do columns in newspapers well, and yeah, be presenters they, on stuff. Because they achieve notoriety, yeah, not because the bake-off gives it to them. They yeah, don't receive a book deal. They don't get prize money to think, start up a business. I think that if you're on the show, you do get 
uh, a recipe included in a Great British Bake Off cookbook, but like that's still not your they're, own they're book. Not, and they're not paid for that. Um, it largely takes place on the weekends, so these people continue their normal daily routine during the week, um, and they don't receive really compensation. Maybe they get uh, complimentary travel, because a lot of them are coming from all over the UK, including Scotland and Wales and Ireland, um, but they're not they're not compensated really in any other way. And here's the thing, we can't stress this enough. If you've never watched the show, it is one of maybe the top 3 most pleasant shows I've ever not without drama, it definitely has moments of like really like ooh you're in it, you know, you're kind of caught up in the action, but it's not there's okay, there are lots there are ton, countless moments of somebody turning around from working on their thing to help somebody move something from to, to a cake stand or help them fix, you know, a, a crust that's broken or something. They will stop what they're doing to turn around and help the person behind them. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's it makes you feel so many warm fuzzies watching the are, show. There are lots of hugs, lots of congratulations. Oh, and by the way, it's also cut with scenes of beautiful English countryside. Well, that's the thing. At this point, Teresa and I have, through ways watched all seasons every episode of this show and i will also stress that in the british version of the show not what's aired on netflix or pbs but on the british version they do these cut scenes where they just investigate like the the presenters who we'll talk about in a second go and like talk with like baking historians about the origin of the cupcake or how you know this certain bread helped shape this town and they're very hands-on about it so they usually help bake one of these said things that they are you know describing historically or they'll like mill flour or the you know they'll, they'll do little things that make it very interesting so that's the thing is there's very little manufactured drama it's not the stakes are the stakes are like watching your friends compete in like a local baking competition which except, is a normal thing that happens in a lot of villages in the UK. Exactly. So like that's as high as the stakes are, but you also get really invested because I would say the main thing that they do that really hooked us on the show is they do an amazing job of letting the personalities of the contestants be kind of the lead, like mm-hmm. you, over the, the course of like, what, 10 or 12 episodes, you really get to know, like, I uh, in a different season we're not going to talk about, there's uh, a woman named Martha who's like 18 or something, mm-hmm. and I, like, I felt as though she was my own daughter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I just, I always refer to her as my dear sweet Martha, because like, you really just get to know these people. You're very excited. I am. <laughs> well, we normally are talking about stuff I don't know about, and I know about that. So let's let's. Well, I would like to go back to the presenters if I can. So let's let's pull back a little bit. We mentioned the presenters, and I think you and I will agree that's kind of what drew us to the show because one of the presenters is Sue Perkins, who hosted a show we knew about long before Great British Bake Off called Supersizers Go. Right, and we've talked about that on Schmanners, and Supersizers Go is kind of like a. a eating tour of the different eras in European history. But Sue really brings a kind of a levity to it. <laughs> uh, she's always kind of uh, elbowing the bakers and um, trying to get them to relax a little bit through her wit. And her long-term um, comedy partner, Mel, 
Mel Gidroy? Her last name G- is... Gidrick? Gidron? Gidroy, I think I, it is. But anyway, it's Mel and Sue, and they've yes. been comedy partners, I think, since like college or something. I think at one point they said like 27 years they've yeah. known each other. So they have a really great rapport, and um, they're just... <laughs> in true British fashion, they are very nice, but also a little bit dirty. <laughs> yeah. I believe the word uh, cheeky, cheeky, I think, would apply here. Sure, yeah. There's actually been, in, in uh, past seasons, the one I think before this, there was some controversy because they use a lot of innuendo. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, like... Puns about like nuts and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> and buns. And buns. There's a lot of that. And it's great. But here's the to go along with the pleasantness, and this is something I think that you and I both love about the presenters. They, you know, are kind of cheeky, a little bit snarky. But when someone's having like a breakdown, which happens, yes. They're there. They're there like comforting them. And we also read that if somebody's having a really big freak out, they'll just stand next to them and start cursing. So that they can't use that footage. Or like cover their faces with their coats or something yeah. so that it's unusable, which is amazing, which is something that I would, I never would have imagined would happen on one of these shows because, um, you know, the other ones that you mentioned, the Chopped or, or whatever, um, seems to thrive on the terrible things that happen. Whereas I think that this show really celebrates the good things. Yes. Not to say that their judgment isn't harsh. So let's talk about the judges next. Yeah, I mean, so the two judges are Paul Hollywood. and Who's Mayor, a baker, a career baker. And that's his, like, real name. Yeah. <laughs> that is his real name. Paul Hollywood um, and Mary Berry. Who has written, like, hundreds of cookbooks, starting from the 1950s all the way up till now. And I think one of my favorite things about the judges is everybody talks about Paul Hollywood like he's this Simon Cowell-esque harsh judge monster. And he's just a little bit, a little bit judgier than Mary Berry, right? Like, they're both very nice. He seems almost teacher mode almost all the time, Mm -hmm. where he talks about the things that are wrong, but he's like, well, you know, it's because that was so wet. Or um, one of his favorite catchphrases is, it's overworked. It's a bad bike. (laughs) Here's the thing, is like, he... I think the two of them are a really great pairing because Mary Berry is like this famous professional home baker. Right. Where like she's written, I think last time I checked, 2,000 cookbooks. I don't think that's real, but that's a lot, real. a ton um, about baking. And he has all these kitchens and all these employees and like, you know, has trained people. Well, she, she's almost grandma-esque, I would say. But she's also judgy. I mean, she's a judge. Like they, she's not overly nice and he's not overly mean. But they always seem to find like a rose and a thorn about things. Hardly ever are things perfect, and sometimes they are, and they they have said that. Um, but there's always a rose and a thorn. So I don't think that anyone ever comes away with only harsh judgment. And you end up with this very interesting dynamic where, like, if Paul Hollywood compliments your thing, it really you could see like there's this thing he does every so often where he'll like shake someone's hand mm-hmm. after doing the tasting and like it's this thing you watch these people like <gasps> and like it means so much to them and also the other side of that then is when Mary like criticizes something it's like I'm gonna really take that to heart because like it means something because right. she said you know it's a great dynamic and I, what I love is as far as the presenters go they all four Mel Sue Paul and Mary kind of travel together Mm -hmm. 
And so they have a very interesting, like, there's always a scene um, before they reveal, like, who won and who's going home for the week, where all four of them sit down and kind of talk about the week and the bakes and how everybody's doing. And it's a little bit funny. It's a little bit tense. It's just a great dynamic between the well, four of them. Well, because Mel and Sue don't get to weigh in, really, but they they are genuinely interested in what... Paul and Mary have to say about the bakers who are in trouble and the bakers who are at the top. So we've kind of danced around the format. Let's let's. So basically, at the top of the show, the, the first episode, you have twelve bakers. I think in one season they did thirteen, called yeah. them the Baker's Dozen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, so you have twelve bakers, all amateur. Um, they and, call themselves home bakers. And in fact, this is the first controversy that I alluded to before we started recording. Marie in this season. Apparently, it came out um, during the season after the season that she had trained in Paris at a, at a baking school, and that there was a rumor going around that she had been a professional baker before this. Huh? But it turns out like the certificate she got was for a week long course in baking. Yeah, that doesn't really count. And uh, according to the BBC, at least she never worked as a professional. They said that they have very strict criteria and that she met. All of them, or she wouldn't have been on the show. Mm-hmm. But so they're very strict about like pro bakers, amateur bakers, that kind of thing. So you have 12 bakers, and then you have the three kind of sections, right? Yeah. So tell me about the first section. Well, the first one is a signature bake, um, which every week is kind of themed. Um, so in the signature bake, it's a, a, a bake that the home bakers are supposed to have like practiced and served many times, like to their family and friends, something that they make all the time. So for example, like the first episode, the theme is uh, cakes. And so like everybody makes like, what's the cake you would serve at, you know, on a, you know, tea with your family or whatever. Right. And that doesn't always mean that these signature bakes are really that practiced. Well, so that's the thing is like, if you think about, and I, I, okay. Also, uh, a little backstory for me and Teresa. Teresa and I, when we love a TV show, we don't just watch it once. We watch it mm, 20 times. Yeah. 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 Um, And so we really, (laughs) really think about the show. (laughs) And the thing about this is, is... I take a lot of comfort in the routine. Yeah. And also, like... You get to know it. Um, And uh, the way that the baking area is set up, they're in a tent, like in a, you know, British manor kind of countryside. Mm Mm-hmm. But the tent is not climate controlled. If it- I mean, you can open up. The, I have seen scenes where they have mesh on the sides of the tent to let the air through, or they have plastic on the side to keep the rain out. But like, if it rains, that affects you know, like sugar work and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If it's hot, yep. Um, if it's humid, all that stuff. So like, just because you practice at home with your oven and your tools in your kitchen. Doesn't mean it goes the same there. You hear a lot of people say, like, well, it's never done that before. <laughs> um, so then, so that's the signature bake. And then you do the technical. Right. Which is a, usually they go back and forth between a Mary Berry recipe or a Paul Hollywood recipe. Um, and this is like a surprise kind of recipe in the theme of the week. And usually the recipe is pretty sparse. So they don't give all the method. They'll give all of the ingredients, and they have all those uh, sometimes measured out, sometimes not. 
Um, but the method is really where they are testing the bakers on their knowledge. So if they need to make a certain type of cake, right? So there's, uh, in the show, they mention jacond, which is an almondy paste cake um, or almond flour cake. Um, There's Genoese, which is a fatless sponge, I think. So it's leavened by egg whites. Um, And then there's like the regular sponge with like butter and eggs and all that kind of stuff. Um, So they'll just say, make a Genoese sponge. And you have to know how to do it. Um, And so then they will blind taste test those where everybody brings it up. They put it behind a picture of themselves that we can see, but the judges can't, mm-hmm. which I love as just a, 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 an interest. Oh, and the judges aren't there during them baking it so that they aren't able to put the bakes to them. And, and, the and it's just a great, it's a great mechanic because not only is it testing them on their like how well they know the process, but it's also like it eliminates anybody being able to say like, well, of course you didn't like theirs because you didn't like their their signature and you're not a fan of their stuff. And so like, it, it's just a very interesting way to be like, no, this is just based on execution and not about anything. Because everybody's baking the exact same thing. They have the exact same amount of time to do it and they have the exact same instructions to do it. Yep. Um, and then finally, the, the third, oh, and then everybody gets ranked, um, you know, uh, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Um, which is really the only time in the show that you get that kind of clear cut. Mm-hmm. And to up the drama, they usually go backwards. Yeah. And 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 then that that is always a huge player in when they're talking about like who's going home mm-hmm. because it's the one kind of like concrete, like, well, they were last in the technical, so they're definitely in trouble is always like a huge factor in it. Yeah. Um, and so then the third... Um, and final segment of each episode is the showstopper. Which on the two-day shoot usually takes place on the second day. Um, and with the showstopper, they give them some kind of theme. So once again, I said the first episode is cake. So the signature is some form of Madeira cake. The technical is a frosted walnut layer cake. And the showstopper is a black forest gato. Mm. And so with the showstopper, it's kind of like, okay, show us the best you can do with this one. It's usually has, it, I mean, not usually, it has to be visually interesting as well as delicious. It has to look like something that like would be the big reveal dessert at the it end of It has to be a showstopper. Exactly. And so this is usually where you see people like push themselves often to a breaking point mm-hmm. where they run out of time or they just couldn't get it to stand up or whatever. This is usually where you see cracks. On a different series from this one, this is where somebody threw a bake in the bin. Yeah, bin gate. Um, that's the that's the trash can for you American listeners. Us Americans, but that's fine, <laughs> honey. We watch a lot of British TV. It's it's easy to forget. So that's kind of the rundown. I'm trying to. Oh, and so then at the end of the episode. They, um, you know, like I said, all four of them, judges and presenters, get together. They talk about who's in the bottom, who's in the top, because every week they send somebody home and they name someone the star baker. Right. Um, and that doesn't carry any immunity or any bonuses, except you're just star baker. And this is all, it's all shot kind of like in real time. So like you finish that episode, then you go home for the week. 
you do your job or whatever, you go to school, you practice the next week's signature and showstopper, and then you come back the next week and you do it again. I think in, not in this series, but in another series, one of the bakers brought a little sheriff star pin. That was Richard, yeah. That was Richard, and he would pass it around, and whoever was star baker that week, uh, the, the week before, got to wear the star for the next week, and it was just really cute, but like... There's it doesn't affect your standing really in the competition because Paul and Mary really try and keep it to how did people do this week? And they're really good about that. Like we'll talk about that more in a bit. But so then I would say they're really good about it until maybe up till the very, very end. Yeah. Final final, four, final five. They start thinking about consistency um, and improvement. Instead of, you know, just that day. Um, and, and that makes sense because you see a lot. Um, the, Richard, who we mentioned, uh, you know, he's from a prior season. He's one of my favorites, was consistently good in the signature and the showstopper. But his technicals were all he was always kind of in the middle or near the end. Mm-hmm. And it was like, OK, we got to take that into account. as so we move forward. Anyways, um, so then they go week by week by week eliminating someone, naming someone Starbaker until they're down to a final three. Then the final three, they have usually like their most difficult signature, the most difficult technical, the most difficult showstopper. Then they have um, like a big party uh, where they invite a bunch of people to come, usually their families, friends, um, but also contestants on the show who, you know, have been sent home in Mm -hmm, previous weeks, mm -hmm. which is always my favorite part because they like interview them to say who they think's going to win. And everybody, once again, everybody just seems to really like each other on the show. They all work together. They're all friends. I just saw a picture um, uh, from Ian uh, from a previous season when he got married. And, like, most of the contestants from a season came to his wedding. And well, it's just like, really nice. You know, you go through something like that and it, it really brings people together. Very true. So then um, they do all these final things. And on the final episode... One person is named, you know, the winner, and then the other two are the runners-up. The winner gets a cake stand. And and, some flowers. And some flowers, and the runners-up get flowers, and everybody goes crazy, and it's very pleasant. So that's kind of the rundown of the show. So we're going to talk about, specifically, Series 6. It's one of our favorites, um, and we also, I, I also think it is... Character okay, there were some more standout characters for me for our characters, human beings <laughs> from other seasons, but I think this is the one that had the best kind of spread of people that I liked, where it was like they were all pretty pleasant, everybody was pretty good. Um, and it was also very like a uh, diverse yeah, cast. Yeah, I really like this season because you can really see the width and, and depth of the UK experience because there are a lot of people um, who have moved to the UK from other countries included in this season. Um, Alvin is from the Philippines. Um, I think Nadia is from uh, Bangladesh. Um, And uh, there's, so like there's just a lot of people that come together. Um, I think Ugne, isn't she from, Lithuania, uh, Ukraine, uh, one of those, yeah. Um, some some further Western um, European country, and I think that it it just goes to show that UK baking, like the English baking, is something that really brings a lot of different cultures together. 
Okay, so let's start at the beginning, a very okay. good place to start, and work our way through. Here's what I'll say. Just I will do little kind of overall insights of the seasons. On the first episode, everybody's a little bit clunky. You know, it's their first time being in the tent. They got a lot of nerves. In my opinion, I think the first episode is the easiest to spot who's going home that week. There always seems to be one person that's just consistent. There's one season, I can't remember the guy's name, so no spoilers for that season, where literally everything goes wrong. He just does everything wrong. And it's like, okay, bye. (laughs) Bye, you. That's uh, the first episode, I think, is where the most people end up getting hurt, too. You end up with a lot of cut fingers in the first episode. Everyone is just so nervous, and it's really endearing. (laughs) It is. Um, So... Like I said, the the bakers are Alvin, Durette, Flora, Ian, Marie, Matt, Nadia, Paul, Sandy, Stu, Tamal, and Ugname. Um, so week one cakes, and I should I run through what everybody bakes? Because they list them all here on the Wikipedia page. Sure, why not? We'll, uh, you will run through them, and I'll talk about them. Um, Alvin makes an orange, vanilla, f- and fig Madeira cake. And in that cake, he uh, Paul comes up to him while they're making it because during this, you know, they're walking around, interviewing the people about their cakes. Paul comes up to him and says, uh, "What size are you going to make the figs?" And Alvin's like, "I'm going to keep them whole because I really like a big chewy bite of fig." And Paul's like, "Is it going to sink to the bottom or is it going to stay suspended?" And Alvin says, "Oh well, it'll probably it'll stay suspended. It's going to be great." And then guess what happens? He doesn't say suspended. It doesn't say suspended. It all sinks to the bottom and Paul's like, I told you so. It's another thing that I love is even in that like kind of cruel judgy kind of walk around, they're very nice. Like the the meanest thing Paul Hollywood does is he'll walk over and goes, oh, that's how you're going to cut it? (laughs) And then like we'll walk away and you'll see the contestant like look at the camera like, uh, uh, well, this is going to turn out bad now. Um, So Durant does a Madeira cake with candied lemon. Um, I think that that one... Is a little overbaked when they judge it. Uh, Flora does a blood orange Madeira cake. Which they enjoy. Um, but it wasn't like awesome, I guess. Um, Flora, oh, I did Flora. Ian does somewhere west of Madeira cake. I think that he adds a different. Um, he does rum, I think. Yeah, he puts rum in it, which I think they enjoy. The thing about Ian is. He is a little more experimental than a lot of the other people, but it usually turns out pretty good. Um, Marie does a zingy citrus Madeira cake. They loved it. Matt does a gin and tonic Madeira cake. He had a hard time getting that tonic, uh, that gin to come through in that cake. Uh, yeah, gin's not that strong. It really mm. isn't. Nadia does an orange and green cardamom Madeira cake. They like that because the cardamom... Um, Mary says that it has just the right amount of cardamom because it could overpower. Uh, Paul does lemon, ginger, and caraway seed Madeira cake. Uh, overbaked again. Uh, Sandy does Madeira cake with almond liqueur and chopped apricots. They like that because the apricots... Apricots? Sure. Because they are chopped well and well dispersed in the cake. Stu does a Marley Madeira cake. Oh, I remember this one. So Stu, again, 
he is trying to really like shake up some of the stuff that goes through, but he is not as good at it as Ian is. So his Madeira cake has kind of a swirl of chocolate flavor and then lime flavor, and Mary does not appreciate it. Uh, Tamal does pistachio and rose Madeira cake. Rose is a very tricky flavor, and it comes up a lot in a lot of these. Um, a lot of the flowers are rose, lavender. Lavender, yeah. yeah. Um, but they love it. Um, and Ugne does a lemon and thyme Madeira cake. Uh, they said that the thyme was completely overpowered by the lemon. Ugne is another one that's really that tries to kind of push the envelope. And usually what happens with hers is the flavors... Uh, that she goes for, it's not that they don't go well together, it's that they're difficult to discern. I would say the two biggest strikes against people that you find is, uh, so either they try a bold and brash flavor combination that doesn't work, or they didn't do enough with their flavors, that's one. And then the other one is style over substance. Hmm. So you see a lot of people who focus so much on decorating their bakes that they don't get the bake time right, or the consistency is wrong, or the flavors are bad. Right. But it looks beautiful, but when they actually take a bite out of it, they're like, yeah, this is dry and overbaked. You you also will see um, kind of uh, repeated criticisms, um, like that it's a very close texture, that it's raw in the middle. That's a big one that happens, yeah. uh, especially during the technicals, if people don't get the bake times right. Well, because... Bake time is one of the thing that things that is not included usually in the recipe that they give them. So you're really relying on your knowledge as a baker to discern whether something is done or not. And, you know, sometimes you run out of time because you don't know maybe exactly what you're doing. And maybe the most uh, recognizable criticism is a soggy bottom. Ah, yes. Soggy bottom for pastry. Yeah, we'll talk about that more when we eat the pastry. Um, So the technical challenge is a frosted walnut layer cake. Ugne comes in first, um, and Nadia comes in 12th. Nadia has some problems with uh, technicals in the beginning. She does, and the main reason why she comes in 12th is because she didn't ice the sides of the cake like everybody else. Um, If you don't know what the bake is supposed to look like, then you don't always do it right but she decided that she wasn't going to frost the sides of the cake um so the showstopper is a black forest gato and we don't have to go through every single one of these and try to think um stew again wants, yeah. yeah stew tries to change too many things by including beet yeah he uses beetroot which is something that um that is in a lot of cakes it contributes moisture to the cake without adding a lot more of sugar um and it gives a subtle sweetness but I think that he was just, he was going too far. You know, he used beetroot and he had a um, meringue style icing. And, you know, it was just too much for a Black Forest Gato. The chocolate and the cherry and the kish is what you need for that. Um, so in case it wasn't clear from us talking about it, Stu goes home. Oh, yeah. Um, and Marie um, wins the the Star Baker. Um, each week, Mel and Sue alternate who hands out the Star Baker and who hands out uh, and who announces who's going home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they announce, it, they do they do Star Baker first, and then who's going home, and then everybody hugs. They do a, what they call a Mel and Sue sandwich. It's very cute. Um, so then week two is biscuits. I'm gonna see if there's any like standouts here. Well, and the thing about um, English biscuits is it's they have sweets biscuits and they have savory biscuits and um 
biscuits are really supposed to be quite firm. They're supposed to have a snap and kind of a, a crumbly texture um, because they they are a little bit like cookies, but they're like they have a distinction between a biscuit, which is the way I described. It's really good for like dunking in tea. Yeah, the first, the the signature is biscotti. Right. And then cookies are different, whereas they might have similar similar flavor profiles. They do have totally different textures. A cookie is softer. It kind of bends um, and has more of a cakey interior. So um, I'm trying to see if there's any stand up. Oh, I'm getting so hungry. I know. Um, Alvin does a jackfruit pistachio macadamia biscotti, which they really like because jackfruit, I think, is a, a Philippines uh, Or an, an Asian fruit. Yeah, that they weren't aware of. The, I think they really, really like. Um, Florida does a wedding biscotti. Uh, Ian does orange, rosemary, and almond biscotti with a zabaglione. I don't think that's right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any else that jump out at me. Paul does a chocolate hazelnut and fig biscotti. Sandy, I think, nails it with a chocolate chunk and hazelnut biscotti. Good way to go. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Tamal does cinnamon, maple, and cranberry. Um, so then the technical is Ariette's. Um, what is an area? Ar- Arlette's, I think. Arlette. Oh, you're right. What is an Arlette? Do you remember? Oh, an Arlette is kind of like, um, it's a biscuit that's like kind of crescent shaped. Think like, it almost looks like a, um, uh, like a croissant that's just been flattened. Yeah, almost like an elephant ear. It's, oh, it's actually called a Palmer pig's ear or French ear is, is an Arlette. Yeah, so it's um it's a very crispy, flaky kind of biscuit with swirls of cinnamon sugar in it, um, and it is using the pastry method where you would make your dough without the butter in it, and you kind of fold the butter in and and do so many different folds to make layers and layers of butter and and pastry. Oh, that's another important thing to talk about with the show. They're really good. At whether it's Paul and Mary talking about it, because every time they do a technical, it'll cut to Paul and Mary explaining what the technical should be, why mm-hmm. they picked it, what they need to know. But they also do a really good job, like having the contestants explain what they're doing, having Paul and Mary talk about what's going on. So it's not like a cooking show, it's not going to teach you the recipes, but you will walk away like, oh, Frangipan, I kind of know what that is now. Yeah. Um, and then they do do master classes, not as part of the regular series. But like different clips and stuff. Yeah, they do specials where Paul and Mary will sit down and be like, hey, so they made this Madeira cake. Let me show you how to make a Madeira cake. And then it actually is kind of a, a cooking show. Those are supplementals. Um, so then in that technical, direct comes in first. Marie comes in last. Um, and then the showstopper they do. In- oh, poor Marie. I remember this. So she was making her bis- uh, her... Uh, Arlette, and um, she didn't set her oven correctly. Yeah, she forgot to turn her oven on, I think. Yeah, so she was supposed to have eight, and she only presented four, which is, like, pretty much immediately makes you be last in the technical um, because of her oven. Mm, Sad. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the showstopper, which I love this idea, they had him do uh, edible biscuit boxes. So, like, the box was biscuit and then different biscuits inside of it. Right. And I think the most notable one from this one is Nadia's, right, where she's attempting to make kind of a domed 
think of like a clamshell kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, kind of like a clamshell. And she's having some problems with the with the lid. It collapses at one point, and then she makes a second one, and then Sue accidentally, I think, puts her elbow on it <laughs> and crushes it. Um, so she ends up presenting a box with a flat lid instead of dome and no decoration. But Sue 100% owns up to it, and it doesn't go so bad. But um, let's see. And I think the the important part about this showstopper is that Paul and Mary talk about how they really need to choose their biscuits wisely so that um, their boxes don't disintegrate. And a lot of the bakers choose gingerbread or a sort of gingerbread mix maybe with different flavors because gingerbread is a very hearty cookie, very hearty biscuit, uh, and it is it was quite strong. So uh, it's a it goes to show that you, you need to be able to, to choose the the biscuits so that it will help you instead of hurt you. Whereas a couple of the bakers, they use shortbread, which is traditionally a very crumbly dough, um, and it doesn't quite go so well for them. Um, so in this one, Alvin does a gingerbread box and brandy snaps, and I think he runs out of time to actually put his box together. Mm-hmm. Durette does a green tea gingerbread box and cocoa bean shortbread frogs, but she gets knocked because she uses basically a cookie cutter to make the frogs instead yeah. of like hand making something. Um, Flora does a honey and lemon box with Earl Grey tea biscuits and makes the biscuits look like little tea bags. Very cute. Ian does cylindrical shortbread box and macaroons. Um, Marie does orange Russian box and cinnamon shortbread. I don't remember much about that one. Um, Matt does gingerbread fire engine and Earl Grey tea biscuits. And his fire engine was really cool because he used, uh, kind of like sugar, uh, hard set to make like the windows of the fire engine. It's really it's awesome. pretty good. Um, Nadia does cayenne gingerbread uh, and fortune cookies. Um, Paul does gingerbread box and pink macaroons. Um, Sandy does a uh, savory, does sun dried tomato and cheese biscuit box and parmesan sandwich biscuits, which is really cool. Tamal does uh, star anise uh, flavored box and checkered shortbread biscuits. And Ugne does Lithuanian honey cake jar and cinnamon cookies with fondant baby. So it looks like a baby is kind of digging into the uh, cookie box. I don't think she really nails the execution of that look. No, uh, I believe that her the icing that she uses to make the kind of box and baby look all kind of technicolor, they don't really like because the icing was really kind of runny. And, and also caked it in icing like it looked like it literally looked like a cake yeah and they said that the icing softened the outside of the cookie box Mm -hmm. because there was so much press like moisture pressed up against it yeah um but in this week i and i don't know that this has happened in any other season but like we talked about where it's week to week and not an overall judging marie who was the uh star baker in week one goes home in week two yeah, um, that's. I mean, it's really sad when that happens because it almost feels like Starbaker is is a curse rather than a blessing because it happens several times where one week the person a person will get Starbaker and then the next week they're like down at the bottom. So I mean, call it what you want, but it's. I think that people either get overconfident so they don't practice as much or they worry so much about staying on top that they that the nerves get the best of them um so then episode three is the bread episode um which this is always kind of a 
everybody's a little bit nervous about this one because Paula Hollywood's specialty is bread. Mm -hmm. So he's a little bit more judgmental. He's very exacting. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, The signature challenge is two different quick breads. A quick bread is... um, a leavening agent other than like yeast. So you either use like, um, you know, cream of tartare, baking soda, baking powder, something like that. Some sort of leavening agent. Other than yeast. Yeah. You don't have to prove it, basically. You don't have to let the the yeast create whatever. It just does it automatically. Um, so, so like your beer breads. Yeah, like beer bread. Exactly. Um, Alvin does prosciutto, manchego, and balsamic onion soda breads. Oh, yeah. I remember that. They love it because of the cheese. Um, Durette does walnut and Stilton soda breads. Mm, Travis, I'm so hungry. Honey, we'll eat soon, I promise. Uh, Flora does fig and hazelnut rye breads. Ian does wild garlic pesto soda breads. Oh, and this is another thing that Ian's always doing. He's always bringing something from his home, like the rosemary was from his garden, and this wild garlic is like some, some that he found in the woods behind his house. Um, Matt does jalapeno, Mexican cheddar, and smoked salt soda breads. Nadia does Mexican bread with warm tomato salsa. Paul does cranberry and orange sweet soda breads. Um, let's see. Sandy does soda breads with smoked bacon and onion. God, they sound good. Tamal does fig, cheese, and walnut breads. They and, like that one again. Yeah. Um, and Ugne does chocolate quick breads with salted caramel sauce. Which was the only sweet, no, not the only one, but... Um, it was definitely the only dessert one. It was very dessert-like. And um, at first, Mary was kind of wary because she said it, it smelled like she could smell a lot of the raising agent. Um, but apparently Ugne really pulled it off. Um, they really enjoyed it. The technical was baguettes, which is, which is tricky, I guess. A lot of people's turned into more like pita bread, um, they were saying, and they kind of flattened out. They didn't get the rise. Well, I think that the problem was, uh, like I said so many times, they they didn't include the method in the cooking. Um, And one of the things that you have to do in order to get that really crisp outside of the baguette is you need to steam it in the oven. Um, and the bakers who did that ended up with a better crust and a better rise than the bakers that didn't do that, where it got kind of soft and pillowy. Um, and so first in that technical was Ian. Um, last in that technical was Paul. Um, and then the showstopper was a 3D bread structure. So it needed to be something, um, you know, with some body to it, some height to it. Alvin uh, did a cornucopia. I remember that one getting knocked because he baked the cornucopia and then everything else was just individual just like little loaves and it wasn't well, more so- like big loaves it, he baked like nine different types of bread but they didn't like fit inside the cornucopia so it was kind of just like a table full of bread yeah Dorette made an unmade bread which is i guess a play on words where basically Un- she unmade oh yeah unmade the, the title bread, of yeah. it was unmade bread but it looks like an unmade bed but basically all she baked was like a rectangle and then, like, I, I actually think the blanket's well executed because it was kind of molded to and baked to fit mm-hmm. on the thing. But it was not that impressive well, cause if, if you remove that. If you're going to make something that looks that's supposed to look a little messy, like an unmade bed, it isn't going to look really sharp when you make it because it's not a sharp thing, you know? But uh, I think that the real standout of this episode, isn't it Paul? Oh, it's Paul. Yes, it's Paul. Paul makes this beautiful lion. Um, and it's the, 
the attention to detail and the different types of molding that he does for the bread, Paul Hollywood is like flabbergasted. He they give loves a, it. They give him a special commendation, which they I I don't know that they did any other time. Well, because they can't give him Star Baker because he he really, was last in the technical. He really beefed um, in the technical, and so it wasn't great. But they like go out of their way to say like. It's the greatest thing Paul Hollywood's ever seen. <laughs> it's really cool. But uh, let's see. Yeah, so there's, you know, other stuff. Tamal makes a bicycle out of bread. Which they also really like because the bicycle stands up. It's really awesome. And makes something called flower power. Is that where it's like the flowers? Oh, yeah, he makes the giant flower thing. Well, he actually, uh, he bakes one of his pieces of bread in a flower pot and then... Um, makes the flour out of bread so it's not like it lays down on the table it actually stands up and looks like a flower in a pot um so Dorette goes home this week um which once again you know i i think the first half like the people that go home is kind of like yeah you were just kind of waiting for it to catch up to them i know that yeah. sounds mean but like very rarely do you see someone go home in the first half of the group where it's like what? But they were Star Baker the first five weeks. It's usually people who are near the bottom for the first like three weeks and then they go home the fourth week. Well, I mean, it's kind of like there's there's so many bakers when they start off with that the ones that are kind of scraping by by the skin of their teeth, you pretty much know that they're not really up to it, you know? And it that's kind of sad because you really get to you get to like these people because I know that we're going through all of the, the actual bakings, but they have a really great construct in the show where they do like little interviews. Um, they show them baking at home or they talk about what they do outside of baking, you know, their jobs and stuff. Um, so they give you nice little vignettes of all the bakers. And what's great is because most of them are not baker people, they're not professional bakers, this really means something to them. Because mm-hmm. a lot of them, you like, I, I can think of at least five different people where it's like they had dreams of being a baker when they were a kid, but then when they grew up, they ended up having to get a job to help support their family or whatever. They went into the army, whatever, and now like this is their opportunity to become known for this, and you get really – it's like American Idol, but without all the manufactured <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, so then week four is desserts. Um, the signature is creme brulees. Oh, there is so much trouble with these creme brulee because it, it's a it's a custard, a pot of custard, and you bake it in the oven, and some of them are overset, so they've turned to kind of like sweet scrambled eggs. It's really easy, and for- some of them are underdone, and they're kind of like soup. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's really hard to stick the landing, especially when you start incorporating different flavors and different stuff in it. You know what I mean? Always hard to get the consistency. Um, and it's really cool in this episode. They don't allow them to use a blowtorch to make the uh, caramelized hard sugar on the top. They make sure that they have to use the um, the grill or the broiler in their oven. Um, so let's see. Ian does the pomegranate two ways creme brulee that I think also has the seeds in it. They don't like it because of the seeds. Um, Nadia does cinnamon tea creme brulee. Um, Sandy does Pontefract creme brulee. Which is a licorice candy. Ah. Uh, Tamal does rhubarb and stem ginger creme brulee. 
Uh, Alvin does Blackberry Creme Dulé. Um, so then, I think I just said Dulé. I've been watching a lot of West Wing. Um, the technical is a Spani- Spanish wind torta? Yes. What is that? Uh, a Spanish wind torta is actually an Austrian dessert uh, made with meringue, two different types of meringue, a French meringue, uh, which is cooked... Um, I think it's cooked in the oven and then a Italian meringue, I think, where you cook it over a bain-marie, which is a a pot of water, basically. And you kind of like layer that up and fill it with strawberries and cream. Looks delicious. We're very hungry. I'm so hungry. (laughs) Uh, We'll get there. Uh, uh, And first in the technical is Paul. Um, and last in the technical is Alvin. Um, so oh, then- I remember that. Last in the technical is Alvin because he really overbakes it. Turns what should be a white kind of meringue cake looking thing into something that looks kind of ivory. Um, and then the showstopper is three tiered cheesecakes. Um, let's see. Alvin does Tower of Fruit cheesecakes. Mm-hmm. Flora does elderflower and granola cheesecakes. Um, Flora also has a recurring pattern of doing too much. Remember when I talked about like uh, f- uh, form over substance? She does a little bit too much other stuff on all, almost all of her bakes where it's like, you know, she has her main thing. But also she made cookies to put on the side and crackers to put on the side and a, chocolate work for the top. Whatever. And, yeah. yeah. And, and ends up not really focusing so much on the actual bake. And these cheesecakes have to be baked cheesecakes, not like um, no bake overnight set cheesecakes. Correct. Um, Ian mm, does trio cheesecake. of spicy and herby baked cheesecakes. Uh, Matt does chocolate bar cheesecakes. Nadia does fizzy pop cheesecakes, and it's a really cool design where she has like hard set kind of sugar work pouring down from a soda can. Like you know, she's stuck like a, a stick and everything, but it looks like a soda can pouring soda onto the cheesecakes, and then they're soda flavored. She it's did really that cool. by uh, taking like two liters of soda and boiling it down to get like a syrup to flavor the cake. It's with. really cool. Um, Who would have thought of that? Paul does a berry cheesecake tower. Sandy does cassada whiskey and orange and apple cheesecake, apple pie cheesecakes. Uh, Tamal does mango, hazelnut, and rosemary cheesecake trio. And Ugne does lime, coconut, and hazelnut cheesecakes. Um, the star baker is Ian, and Sandy goes home. Um, Sandy goes home a lot because of her showstopper, where the three cakes that she makes. Um, they are unable to be stacked. Yeah, they have to be self-standing. In yeah, the they kind of splurge out and uh, they won't stack because I think one of the cakes they find is, is pretty raw on the inside. She didn't finish baking it. Oh, the two types of meringue it says here in the description is Swiss and French. Swiss and French. Thank you. Um, and then, so episode five is fun. It's alternate ingredients. So, for example, uh, the signature is a sugar-free cake. You can flavor it with honey or fruit or whatever. So it's not like like sugar free. It is refined white sugar. Yeah, free. like you can't use baking. You can't use sugar. You mm-hmm. know. Um, let me see. Which is actually really hard to do because it 
sugar is used as a wet ingredient in baking. And so it really changes the chemical makeup of the cake when you don't use sugar and you use something else. So Alvin does a pineapple upside down cake. And what I remember about his pineapple upside down cake is he's worried that it's very simple. Mm-hmm. And Paul and Mary make an observation that they make a lot on the show when somebody's uh, recipe seems too simple, which is if it's simple, but you really nail it, that's what matters. Yeah. And he really nails it. They really like his pineapple upside down cake. Uh, Flora does pistachio, apple, and cardamom. I always say cardamom, cardamom. Uh, Madeline cake? Madeline cake? Uh, Madeline's are another cookie thing. So she makes a cake and then ties madeleines around the outside. Too much. Uh, Ian does honey and flowers cake. Um, Matt does a sugar-free carrot cake. Nadia does naked blueberry and caraway crunch cake. Um, Paul does carrot and pecan cake. Tamal does honey and grapefruit polenta cake, which I think I remember them really liking. Yeah. They talk about polenta being hard because the the structure is different, but mm-hmm. then he really nails it. Kinda it kind of crumbles when you eat it. And Ugne does a chocolate and hazelnut sugar-free cake. And the thing about Ugne's cake is um, the brief, the, the idea for the cakes that they had to be sugar-free um, is hard enough. And then she expands it and makes it gluten-free as well. She uses lots of different types of flours instead of regular flour, conventional flour. Um, and so the cake actually breaks apart. Um, so then the technical is a gluten-free pita bread, which they call pita bread. Because <laughs> they're se- English. Both seem right. <laughs> um, and what's important to take away from this is up till now, the highest Nadia has placed in a technical is eighth place. And she gets first in this one. Um, and Alvin comes in last. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, I think, is it the pita bread that's really hard? Because, like, it seems too liquidy. Is that this one? Yeah, this is a a lot of gluten-free recipes are, are, are different because it, it won't feel the same. So, like, they take the, the flour... I mean, the, the flour substitute. Um, and they're trying to knead it, and it's, like, super sticky, and that really throws a lot of the bakers off. It's just not what they're used to. Um, and then the showstopper is a dairy-free ice cream roll. What do they use? What do they they use? use a lot of coconut milk oh, okay. and coconut cream. Um, so a lot of the bakes take on a kind of tropical theme uh, to try and use the coconut milk or coconut cream to their advantage. Um, and, and when you think of a roll, this is not so much of a Swiss roll where it's like, you know, a, a tight spiral. spiral. This is like you have basically a tube of ice cream with like a thin layer of cake wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alvin does a buco pandan mango and passion fruit ice cream roll. Which is another Philippine uh, flavor. It's a kind of a green, and he—it's a green color, and he describes it as a as a young coconut taste, um, and says that it's as popular there as vanilla is anywhere else. Uh, Flora does a chocolate and pear bouche, um, which is kind of like a, more of a log shape, she says, than an actual roll. So it kind of spreads out more. Um, Ian does a desert island. Um, Matt does raspberry and coconut ice cream roll. And he does kind of a Swiss roll thing that ends up pushing mostly most of the ice cream out as he <laughs> rolls it, which he gets knocked on. Uh, Nadia does chocolate and strawberry lime ice cream roll. 
Paul also does a desert island getaway and his has a little fondant woman on it in a bikini, which Mel and Sue just have a whale of a they time have talking a field about. Day with this um, little this little pale bikini clad lady. <laughs> uh Tamal does a passion fruit and pineapple ice cream roll, and Ugne does a chocolate, peanut butter, and grape jelly roll, which is just too much. They talk about um you know, the flavors all kind of swallowing each other up. And- well, I think the the thing that really hurts her for this is um, although the flavors are delicious, they like that. The, she takes the, the jam, um, which is supposed to go in between the ice cream layer and the cake layer to kind of bind them together, keep them all sticking together. She takes that jam and she like swirls it through the ice cream. Oh, it's like a tube in the middle of the ice cream, right? Where it's like the t- no, it's no, in the ice cream. No, oh. it's actually swirled through, um which makes it so the ice cream doesn't set properly. So she goes home. Yeah. Um and and for the first time the uh Starbaker is Nadia. So we're getting down to uh we're down to 7 now. We're going to move a lot faster through these. Um episode 6 is pastry. Now pastry is where you start to get a lot of worries about soggy bottoms cuz this is where they start to about blind bake so basically the problem with doing a pastry is you end up with two very different baking times right you have the baking time for the crust and the baking time for the filling so what a lot of people do is blind bake which blind bake is you make the crust and then you put something in it usually like beads or stones or beans yeah something that's gonna like uh, rice or something yeah, so you see people like kind of line the crust with like paper or whatever, fill it with the thi- with rice, beans, stones, whatever, so that it keeps the shape. They bake that for a while, pull it out, fill it, then bake it some more. So that way you make sure that the crust gets done without burning the filling. Mm-hmm. And the problem is if you don't do that well, you end up with a soggy bottom, but you don't get that like crisp crunch or whatever when you cut uh, the, 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 the tart. Um, so the signature is a frangipan tart. And you explain what a frangipan is, right? Frangipan is like an almond filling. Okay, so you would do like the cross, the filling, and then like something on top, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, so then they do, let's see, Alvin does a plum frangipan tart. Flora does apricot and rosemary frangipan tart. Ian does... I think this is another thing where she kind of like sticks... Something on the outside, like uh, Amaretti biscuits. Mm-hmm. Ian does pear and raspberry frangipan tart. Uh, Matt does pina colada and frangipan tart. Nadia does bay leaf, wrong tea, and pear tart. Um, Paul does Christmas frangipan tart. And Tamal does spiced pear frangipan tart. And then the technical is flaunus? Flaunus. Flaunus. What is that? It is a cypress pastry. Um, that is typically eaten around Lent. And I know this because uh, Mel and Sue tell us about it. Um, it's got uh, cheese and raisins, which are called sultanas in, in the UK. Cheese and raisins in the center. And then it's a pastry that kind of folds up over top of it to kind of make a, a mounded pastry. And it has some kind of strange flavors, I thought they said in it. Like there was a... There's um. Two, two powdered ingredients, one that's kind of like the pits of sour cherries and one that is a, a pine resin almost. Cool. Um, and in that technical, Matt gets first and uh, Tamal gets seventh, gets last. Uh, and then the showstopper is a volavant. 
A volavant is a pastry um, hors d'oeuvre where it's like kind of, you use the, the pastry is the carrier for filling. So it's almost kind of like a little bowl that you make oh, out of pastry yeah, yeah, yeah. and you fill it with, um, you know, whatever, uh, usually savory. And it ends up looking like a cup, right? Like you you bake it up, you cut out the middle, you remove Mm -hmm. the middle, and then you fill up the middle. Right. Right, right, right. Alvin does a salmon and croute volivant and a chicken a la king volivant. Flora does asparagus and parma ham volivant, uh, praline and chocolate. Uh, And they really praise her use of the chocolate because uh, Paul and Mary were like, that is never going to work. And she actually pulled it off. Um, Ian does volivant's tear et mer. Oh, um, land and sea. So he uses scallops in one and then I think pheasant in the other. Matt does his and hers volivants. Um, I think flavored his favorite and his wife's favorite. Right, yeah. Um, Nadia does Bengali korma and clementine with cod, um, which I think I remember Mary really liking the clementine with cod. Yeah, another thing they were like, that flavor combination is never going to work and they love it. That happens a lot. <laughs> Paul does savory and sweet. Uh, Tamal does chicken and coriander and fennel and rosemary. Matt is star baker and Alvin goes home. Alvin is, is I think, a good baker who is kind of middle of the pack for the six weeks that mm-hmm. he's in. Yeah. And then he just, in the pastry episode, I think the bottom middle of the, you know, the bottom half of the pack is yeah. gone. And I think it's just his time to kind of fall off. And, you know, Alvin, I think he has some great ideas in this season, but he he is constantly struggling under the clock. He needs more time than I think that they can give him. Um, So now we're in the the final half. We're down to the last six. Um, The episode is uh, Victorian, which is very fun. It's always our favorite when they do kind of throwback ones because we're us. Um, (laughs) And so the signature is a raised game pie. Which this is hand raised, right? Like no, uh, this one is using tins. There's a a, a different um, season where they do hand raise them, so they don't. They're not allowed to use tins. But this one, uh, they do tin pie. So most of the bakers use a kind of football shape tin, um, which actually is a modern interpretation of a, of a tin that they did use in the Victorian times, but for the Victorian tins, they usually have kind of like fluting around the outside and uh, they really shape the pastry because it's supposed to be quite uh, ornately decorated. Yeah, that was, I think, I believe the instruction was ornate. Um, Flora does game pie with shallot and apple chutney. Which she overfills and doesn't get baked. Um, Ian does roadkill pie. Which which is pretty much what it sounds like. (laughs) Um, Matt does raised venison and pigeon pie. Nadia does aromatic game pie. Paul does not a boring pie. And Tamal does Middle Eastern game pie. I do remember, too, Ian's was a bird shape, which they end up knocking because if you remove, like, the little foot and wing he puts on it, there's no decoration Right, yeah, yeah. Fulfilling the brief is something they talk about a lot, Um, that sometimes the bakers are trying to be so original that they don't fulfill what it is they've asked them to do. Um, the technical is tennis cake. Which is a fruit cake um, covered with some decorations that make it look like a, a tennis court. So there's um, a, a marzipan layer and a sugar paste layer. And then they use like 
different uh, frostings and such to make it look like a tennis court. And the thing about this bake is the fruitcake is quite large. So it's about timing that they're testing the bakers on because they need to get that cake in the oven and bake it for a very long time or it won't be done. And a lot of the bakes are not done. Um, First in the technical is Nadia. um, And last is Matt. um, Because I believe Matt just kind of overbakes a lot of stuff. I think he overbakes, he bakes the net, which ends up making it like this weird tan color. I think he underbakes his cake. He just, it falls apart a couple of different <laughs> places. Then the showstopper is a Charlotte Russe. Remind me, what is a Charlotte Russe? Uh, a Charlotte Russe is a, um, it's almost like a trifle cake. So it's the outside is ladyfingers, um, which is a type of sponge. And then layers of cake and jelly and Bavois cream, um, which is kind of like a, like a mousse. And um, it's it's a it's a highly Victorian dessert because they love all those jellies and they use a lot of gelatin in in the mousse uh, and it's like super squidgy. Um, Flora is hungry. We're gonna eat so as soon as this episode's done, I will fill you with appetizers. I want cake. Well, we've got. I made cake. We can eat (laughs) my cake. Um, Flora made raspberry pomegranate and champagne. Ian did Victoria's crown. Uh, Matt does strawberry. Oh, Victoria's crown. That was a really cool thing he made out of lady fingers. He made like a little crown to put on top of the cake. It's really cool. Um, Nadia does mango and raspberry. Paul does Charlotte Rose. Um, and Tamal does spiced blackberry, raspberry, and cardamom. Um, Matt's just doesn't go well. Again, it, it I think it breaks, right? The yeah, lady well, fingers. The lady fingers are not good around the outside and the Bavois cream inside is is not set, so it kind of all squidges out. It is another example of in week seven he was star baker. In week, uh, sorry, in week six he was star baker. Week seven he goes home. Uh, Tamal is star baker in week seven. So then week eight is patisserie, and patisserie is like fancy kind of like one bite desserts, right? Or it's like um. Not not necessarily one bite, but it is fancy French style dessert, something that you would find in a French patisserie. Oh, I see. Um, the signature is twenty four cream horns. This is another thing that they do a lot, where you have to do like twelve of each for two different kinds, or twenty four, or forty eight, and they're looking for them to all be very uniform. Um, all be done, all be good, and that you have enough. Right, because they want to test your consistency as well. You know, right. anyone can make just one turn out great, but if you can make the 24 or the 36 and they all look great, that's a sign of a good baker. Um, and a cream horn is basically like you get like a pastry horn, like an ice cream cone or a unicorn's horn, and then you fill it with filling. Delicious, delicious filling. Um, Florida's peach and lemon thyme and smoked almond and butterscotch. Um, they have to have two of each. Um, Ian does Mont Blanc and Black Forest, uh, Black Forest Gato. Uh, Nadia does Rose Pistachio and Mocha, or as they say, Maca, um, Maca Hazelnut. Um, Paul does Cafe Tipple and Banana Crunch Away Horns. And this is a sticking point because Paul Hollywood is very excited about the idea of banana flavored ones. And he just, uh, banana's a difficult flavor to convey. Yeah. Um, he just doesn't get it. Um, and then Tamal does lime and mascarpone uh, and malt cream horns. What's mascarpone? It's a type of cheese. Oh, gotcha. Um, technical is mocatines. 
Yes, this um, these are tiny little fiddly desserts, um, and they use a um, Genoese sponge. Um, so that's really the downfall of a lot of the the bakers. They don't know how to do the Genoese. Oh, okay. So these um, these are like these little squares, right? Where the mm-hmm. sides are covered in nuts. Um, you have to do. There's another thing where you do uh, tempered chocolate, so you need a nice shine on the t- chocolate and a lot of piping around it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're, kinda, they're fiddly looking. And fiddly I think indeed. Lots of steps. So that's what really gets the bakers in trouble. Uh, Nadia gets first, and Paul gets fifth, and then um, the showstopper for this one. Oh, there's no way I'm going to get this one. Religious. Uh, Relis use. Uh, la Cien? Sure, La sure. Cien. Sure. That's what you want to hear after you try pronunciation. Sure. Um, it's it's an eclair tower, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and it's something like they have to be three tiers. They got to stand up on their own. And it's very tricky because you're doing shoe pastry, which is the kind of pastry you use to make eclairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the most rigid of pastry. Right. Well, I mean, and eclairs are a filled pastry, so the moisture from the cream is working against the the rigidity of the pastry, um, and it has to stand up. I think they, they make them stand up for two hours mm-hmm. because this is kind of like the centerpiece at a party. Yeah, so so they had four hours to bake, then it had to stand on in two hours, no dowel rods, nothing holding it up. Um, I think different people used, like, uh, some strengthening, like strong flour or whatever. You and know. then caramel to kind of stick it together. Uh-huh. Um, Flora's did lime and basil and coconut and white chocolate. And I think hers, like, she started to stack it, but the bottom tier started to go. So she ended up having two separate pieces, right? Where she had the top two tiers and then the third tier. I think so. Separate. Um, Ian did none with hidden passions. I think it was... Shaped like none, look like passion fruit. Well, because Relis use is none. Ah. It's like a, the it's a play on the name of the of the gotcha. tower. Nadia did bubble gum and peppermint cream, mm-hmm. which I remember them being. I think Paul was very excited. He likes uh, candy, and I think he was a big fan of the flavors of that one. Um, I don't know if he was a big fan. Uh, he decided that the flavors were strong, but okay. okay. Mary really didn't like the flavors very much, but um, she was t- she did technically very well. Do you remember what Paul's was? Because it just says Paul's religious, whatever. Like, do you remember what he did? I remember his collapsing. Yes. Right? Oh, uh, what did he do? That's fine. Um, <laughs> and then Tamal did passion fruit and mango and pistachio and raspberry. Um, Paul went home. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think uh, he came last in the technical. Was this maybe another banana? Like, oh, banana, I think he did. He used, like, banana essence, which made a very uh, artificial fakey, Yeah, fakey flavor. banana taste. He just didn't nail the flavors. He came in last in the technical. And then Nadia got first. Uh, all right, she was star baker. So then uh, episode nine is chocolate, the semifinal down to the last four. Oh, this was a rough one because, you know, we talked earlier about they're kind of out there in the elements, so to speak. And uh, chocolate is not easy to do. It's quite temperamental. Yeah. I Well, 
That's an excellent pun, my dear, because one of the hardest things to do with chocolate is, we talked about earlier, a temper on chocolate. So basically what you want to do is you melt the chocolate and then let it harden again. And if you do it right and you don't lose the temper, you get this really nice shine on the chocolate. But if you don't get it right, you lose the temper and you end up with like a really flat doll, in some cases like chalky looking Mm -hmm. chocolate. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, the signature was chocolate tarts. Flora did a passion fruit and chocolate tart. Uh, Ian did chocolate and bay tart, which I think had bay leaves in it, which I remember, I think, they they didn't get much from the bay well, leaf. Well, the bay leaf was to flavor the salted caramel. Ah, yes. Um, and Nadia did a peanut salted caramel and chocolate tart. And Tamal did a chocolate New York pie. I remember them really liking the peanut salted caramel and chocolate tart. And Mary was quite surprised because she doesn't really like peanut. Um, and then the technical, this is a very interesting ch- technical because it was a chocolate souffle. And what they did, because they can be so temperamental and you have to kind of like eat, bake it and eat it, they staggered the, so like Flora went first, had like a half hour, and then the next person started a half hour, next person. So it stag- staggered the start so that they could do the judging staggered um, so that, they didn't have time for like the souffle to Which collapse. Which I think is really great. I mean, because they're setting the bakers up to have the best technical possible. Because if they had everybody go at the same time, and then the souffles could have time to fall. And I think it was really nice. Um, and uh, Flora got first on that. Uh, Tamal got second. Ian got third. Nadia got fourth. A lot of people had, uh, they didn't incorporate they're, uh, oh, what is it? The, whatever the, uh, like, eggy. Yeah, the meringue stuff that incorporated well. Uh, the showstopper was a chocolate centerpiece. Now, Flora did a chocolate carousel, which I actually thought was pretty nice. They, they called it a little, uh, it's sometimes hard with the, like, 3D build showstoppers because they're like, oh, this looks kind of wonky. And I'm like, yeah, but there's so much work that went into it. But they're right. A lot of people do, like, towers or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's really cool. But, like, your edges are uneven and mm-hmm. the corners are bad. That was their problem. Ian built a chocolate well with a bucket you could drop down to dip up white chocolate from the bottom of the well. But again, although the structure was pretty cool looking, he didn't show a lot of techniques. It was basically just molded chocolate from uh, molds that he had made. And there wasn't a lot of like decoration. Uh, Nadia made a peacock and nest and eggs and he was gorgeous um yeah it was pretty incredible and tamal made a chocolate bell tower which i'm trying to remember what it looked like and i'm i can't place it i mean it was a a three-tiered thing and he used uh biscuits that same kind of gingerbready biscuit that he had used before they liked it okay except the the construction although solid was not very good looking um so this is i'm going to introduce another controversy now so there's a lot of betting on Great British Bake Off, and apparently there's a, a betting a British ba- betting company called Ladbrokes. Apparently, Ladbrokes noticed uh, going into I think either the semifinal or the final that there was suddenly this huge influx of people betting on Ian, and they traced back. Uh, this is according to the Sun, traced back where the bets were coming from, and a lot of them were associated with the show. Uh, whether it be the BBC or the production company or whatever. Oh, so you mean people who are associated with the show were betting on a specific contestant? Yeah, and and so it seemed like they had insider knowledge and that they knew Ian was going to win, so they were betting on Ian. 
but they ended up Ladbrokes ended up uh, shutting down the betting on on the show um, to investigate. I don't know whatever came of it. I couldn't find any actual results of it so much as the claims from the Sun if that was what was happening. Like I said, even Ian, it, Ian Sun. No, no, no. The Sun, the newspaper. Oh, the, yeah. oh confused. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it doesn't seem like it actually came um, so much as there were lots of claims of it. Okay, so now we're down to the final three, the final episode. Now, one of the another thing I really like about the show that's kind of the because of the structure of it. We're big fans of Rose Buddies and of The Bachelor, and there's something that they talk about a lot called the producer pick. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Where there's people on it, we're like, well, they're not going to win, but they're mixing it up and they're interesting, and that doesn't happen on this. So when you get to the final three, any one of them could win, and you'd be like, mm-hmm, yep. That's fair. Like, right? I'm not right. I'm trying to remember across all the seasons. Um, I mean, I obviously have my favorites. Um, but it it seems as though the structure of the show makes it so that the bakers are fairly evenly matched going up to the final. Um, so the signature was to make 16 iced buns. Ian- and this is this is a a a difficult thing for for the contestants because Paul has made no secret of the fact that he loves ice buns, like to eat them, like constantly he loves them. Um, and let's see, Ian did elderflower and lemon and spiced. Do you remember what Nadia's are? Because it just says Nadia's spiced buns. Um, one of them is a an almond and cherry. Um, it looks kind of like a hot dog bun. Um, and then the other one is a, I believe it's a lemon bun, but it's like a circular bun. Gotcha. And then Tamal does cinnamon and apple and toffee and marmalade. Um, and then the technical is a, oh, another, another fun French word for Travis. Milfouille? Milfouille. <laughs> that was close. What is that? Uh, it's like a million layers is what it stands for. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. It's it's just, it looks like layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of a thing. So it's a, it's pastry and then cream and raspberries and then another layer of pastry, then another cream and raspberries and then a topping of pastry. Gotcha. Um, Nadia comes in first. Ian comes in second. Tamal comes in third. Although once you get down to like the final five, four, you know, three, the technical is usually like, Yours was like just, you know, it's so close. Either everyone does really bad or everyone does really good. Very rarely is they're like, okay, well, you two nailed it. You suck. Um, especially since this is another thing I love about the final on this. The judges are always especially complimentary during the final. I think because they have it in their heads of like, this is going to be one, the last chance you get, and also the last thing people see of you. So, especially during the showstoppers, the showstopper was classic British cakes. They always kind of go out of their way to be like, this was incredible and you should be very proud of yourself. Well, and not that's not to say that there aren't things that they talk about um, not being perfect. But, you know, the, the bakers have done enough up to this point that they are actually doing fairly well. And... I think that there there really isn't much point to breaking someone down at this point in the this the competition because they won't be there next week. It doesn't doesn't really matter even if the criticism is constructive, you yeah. know, what's what's really the point? You you can 
keep all that to yourself and and let the bakers have a good moment. Um, the showstopper is classic British cakes. Ian does a colossal carrot cake where I think it's seven. Five tiers. Five tiers. Thank you. Five, um, each one smaller than the last one or bigger than the last one, I guess, depending on how you look at it, with one big carrot decoration across all of them. Yeah, he kind of sets them up in a cascading arc instead of tiered on top of each other. Um, And Nadia does uh, British wedding cakes and she recreates her wedding cake. Yeah, because uh, she got married in Bangladesh and they don't really do cakes there as part of weddings, she says. So she was making kind of uh, her own wedding cake. Um, And then Tamal did a caramel sticky toffee cake that he was inspired by an abandoned Chinese fishing village. Yeah, um, he saw, he says he saw like a documentary on it and he was inspired by the kind of like cobwebbiness and yeah. he wanted to use caramel. So yeah, he does a lot of like it. caramel webbing and it actually looks really cool. It's just like if it had been just this other side of this line, it would have just looked messy and chaotic, but he really stuck the landing on like, no, it looks planned. Um, they all go very well. Um, I... I you know, every like every one of them is like everybody's on board with it. Paul says that the carrot cake is one of the best he's ever had. They say that if that's her wedding cake, then her husband would mar- marry her all over again. And also during the final, like a lot of final episodes of these kind of competitions, you get a lot of um, like at home interviews with their family and friends. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they really focus on with Nadia is that she's her family keeps talking about that she's never really done anything for herself and that like. She just works hard for her family and for other people, but she doesn't really take pride in her own stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, she wins. I guess we could just go. <laughs> she, she wins. wins. <laughs> um, and it's this really, really wonderful, like, her, like, kids who appear to be, like, three to five, maybe. Like, mommy's a winner now. And it's just like, oh, and her husband just, oh, I'm getting teared up. <laughs> her husband just, like, hugging her and saying he's so proud of her. And, the, oh, it's so great. Um, and then they do like a where are they now kind of thing. And basically uh, everybody, well, no, I would say most of the time, two thirds of them are doing something new. Like they write a column for their local newspaper about baking once a week. Or they've guested on a radio show to talk about baking. Or they've started teaching classes or, yeah. you know, things like that. And I think that that's really cool. Um, the last controversy is apparently there were some people... Uh, there was a newspaper article. Um, there was a newspaper article that um, apparently made a big deal out of like, well, the only reason Nadia won is for like a diversity, equal opportunity, PC kind of thing. No, <laughs> like that's not <laughs> why she won because she deserved it and she did incredible. And whoever said that needs to shut up. Um, Nadia was our favorite, I think, throughout. And one of the things I really liked about Nadia's is um, she had kind of a, a stern exterior, but in all of the little like to camera interviews, she was just so funny. So funny. She had a, like a super dry wit. Um, like at one point she talked about how they've judged me at 12th and I'm here to be 12th and I'm okay with that. And then a pause. Of course I'm not okay with that. I want to win. <laughs> one of my favorite moments too is after after Nadia wins, it cuts to Tamal, and Tamal just goes, well, there'll be no dealing with her now. <laughs> it's just such a good, 
great moment. And they're all so like, they like each other so much. And it's so great. It's just a great show. But she wins. And I, 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 like I said, all of them, there's, there's not a one. I can't think of a year where somebody won and I was like, robbed. That's no wrong. I mean, I, there's people I wanted to win, but when the other person won, I didn't feel like it was rigged or whatever. Right. Right. so yeah, so that's that's series six. This um, whole show, and one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of talk it out with you guys, this whole show just leaves me with such a contented feeling when I watch it. Not only does it make me want to eat my weight in cake, um, it also makes me feel like this is a, a show that the people who put it together really enjoy putting it together yes it's, it's very made well with, made it's made with love definitely you know? is. just like cake well and that's the thing that uh, it's this is okay i'm gonna be a little bit uh british tv sycophant for a second but it's the thing that i really love when okay when when <laughs> we were in the uh scotland for our honeymoon you watch tv shows there is a tv show about people buying property at auction and fixing it up and some of them they it took seven years to fa- it would be like, and then we we went back and visited them seven years later. And all I can think is there isn't an American TV show that would be like, all right, you just call us whenever you're done, no rush. Yeah. <laughs> like that wouldn't happen. And so this is the kind of show that you make because you really want to make this kind of show, mm-hmm. not because you were stuck with this topic, but you actually wanted to make a different kind of show. And I think that really comes through. It's very pleasant. It's on Netflix. Highly recommend. Could not recommend enough. Um, but we've talked about it enough, I think, at this point. You get the gist. It's great. We love it. Um, we want to say thank you again for donating to Max Fun, um, supporting our show, all the other amazing shows. And and now that you're done with this, I can't stress enough. Just make a day of it and go listen to all the other bonus content. There's video bonus content. Just really treat yourself, you know? Um, hey, Teresa, I've yeah. really enjoyed talking about Great British Bake Off with you. Me too. Can can we have some cake? Yeah, Teresa and I are going to go eat cake now. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for listening to our bonus episode. Oh, one last thing. The last thing we'll ask you. If you enjoyed this and you enjoy all the other bonus content and you enjoy the wonderful feeling you get from being a supporter, the one last thing we need from you is to go on Twitter, go on Facebook, call your friends, text your friends, Skype your friends, whatever, and say, hey, I know that you also listen to these Max Fun shows. Have you considered being a donor yet? I'm telling you, the do- bonus content is great um, because word of mouth is going to be uh, the best tool we've got to get other people to support. we got a pretty bold goal this year, um, and we need your help to get the word out. But that's enough. That's it. That's the last thing we need from you. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Schmanners. You want to do the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. I do want to do the whole thing. Okay. Join us again next year. <laughs> no RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.